You know, one of the things I love about what I see in the Scripture about people talking with God is He's okay with questions. I mean, there are questions throughout the Scripture. But God, how am I supposed to do this? I can't speak very well. But God, what if this happens? But God, why would you? There are so many questions, and He never says, bad question. His Word reminds us, in fact, in Isaiah chapter 1, He wants us to think through things with Him. He said, come now, let us reason together. So, when your child asks questions about God, engage with them knowing that these are good, and we want to usher them into God's presence to ask Him the big questions. I'm John Fuller, along with our Vice President of Parenting here at the ministry, Dr. Danny Huerta, and we're going to begin with a clip featuring Natasha Crane. She's a mom with some great thoughts about engaging with your kids about faith. Here she is now with Jim Daly. Let's jump into these uh, tough questions, and I love the way you've set up your book, Keeping Your Kids on God's Side. Um, you know, we're going to get into the whole thing that obviously God ultimately is responsible for drawing your children to him, but that assists to live in a a good home where the Lord is lifted up and hopefully there's limited uh, failure in terms of hypocrisy and all those mm-hmm. things. Your kids can see your faith in action. That's probably critical, right? Oh, absolutely. If we're not modeling faith yeah. in front of them, then why are they going to have reason to believe that Christianity really matters? At I the think end of when the day? you get to the teen years, that's probably the most important thing that they see your faith, active faith, and you're living it. You know, you're not one thing at church and another thing at home. That'll cripple a teenager's ability to trust God, don't you think? Oh, absolutely. All right. So the, the we've picked a few out here. The 40, we can't cover 40 in a half hour, <laughs> but we're going to do our best, maybe four. <laughs> I but, can try if you really want. <laughs> so we just picked the things that we thought were really kind of strategic. Um, the first one that I wanted to cover was this question. Do all religions point to the same truth? I mean, this has to be age appropriate, right? Uh, but how do you start answering that question? Yeah, well, this is a really important question that a lot of times as Christians we skip over and we don't think about because when we teach our kids about Christianity, we assume, well, we're teaching them truth, right? But a lot of people today make the claim that everything's basically true. It's all pointing to one truth that's all the same for everyone. So they would say, well, yeah, that's great. Christianity's true, but this is true, and this is true, and this is true too. All these things are true. So if someone's assuming that everything can be true at the same time, they don't really care to hear what you're saying about Christianity being true. It's just one of many truths. So the important thing that we can help our kids understand on this, and I think they can understand it at a pretty young age, is that there are similarities a lot of times between religions. But when you look at the totality of the claims that different religions are making, they cannot logically be true at the same time. They are logically contradictory. So they answer these big questions like, where did we come from? Why are we here? Where are we going? What's the meaning of life? And they do so in a way that cannot be reconciled with anything yeah. else. A really simple example that you can share with a child is in Judaism, Christian Jesus was not the Messiah, but in Christianity, Jesus is the Messiah. Those two things simply cannot be true at the same time. Right. That is the crux of the issue. That is the crux is of the, the issue. One? Exactly. And so when all these different religions make logically contradictory claims, we can see by just sitting down with our kids and showing them, well, this is exactly what is taught here and this is what's taught here. They can see they can't be true at the same time. How do you, I'm thinking of my own experience with my boys. And of course, when they're younger, they're listening to everything you have to say, right? They're okay. Okay. We got it, dad. Yeah, got it. And then as they get a little older, it might be 12, 13, 14. That's when they might say, well, Dad, you know, in school today we talked about, in fact, the school they go to. They had a number of people that represented different 
faiths come in and talk, which I actually appreciated. I don't have a problem with that. And uh, I began to ask them, well, how did the Christian pastor do, which was who came. And then they had a rabbi there. They had actually an atheist there as well. So it was their kind of first exposure to the different thoughts as expressed by those people that attended that day. And that opened up that conversation. So as the kids, as your children get older, they're going to be kind of asking deeper, more penetrating questions like that. And how do you uh, continue to train them in that way that what Jesus had to say is the truth. Right. So that takes it then to the next step. Now we get past the logical question of, well, can everything be true? Well, no, that doesn't work. And we get to the question of how do we know what is true? And this is where we start to have these conversations where apologetics comes in, really. How do we know that what we believe is true? How do you make a case for and defend the truth of Christianity? And really that gets to Jesus and the uniqueness of Jesus and the claims that he made, because he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And so that's where we have to really get with our kids and helping them understand who did Jesus claim to be and what kind of bearing does that have on my life? And so we have to look at those issues of evidence as it relates to who Jesus is. Yeah, okay. And I think we're going to cover that in a moment, but let's go to the question two that I had here. If Christianity is the only true religion, why are there so many denials? denominations. Again, that's a common one. And, and your kids, again, seven, eight, nine may ask that. What's a Baptist church, mommy? What's a Assembly of God church? What's, you know, fill in the blank. Um, I'm going to offend somebody here. Presbyterian, <laughs> we get the list. But kids can't observe that and they don't understand those big words. What's that big word, Daddy? <laughs> Presbyterian. Right. Well, I think it starts with defining a simpler word, which is what's a Christian, right? And that sounds so basic. I mean, today, what is a Christian? And so I, what do you say? So I say, well, some people would just say it's a follower of Jesus. That's a common definition. But I've asked my kids this question. I said, well, what do you think? What kind of problems might you run into if you say that someone who's a Christian is a follower of Jesus? And my daughter, even at, I think she was probably nine when we talked about this, and she said, well, that could mean a lot of different things. You know, someone could claim to be a follower of Jesus and just think that he's a pretty cool guy, that he taught some great morality and not think that he's God. So with this, it's important to go back to, well, what did a Christian mean originally? If we go back to Jesus, and the time of the apostles and the earliest Christians, what did they believe? What were those earliest core beliefs that they held in common? And so that brings us back to the question of denominations, because we can explain to our kids that, yes, Christians do have some disagreements on what we would call non-essentials, like how do you govern the church and worship style, things like that. But we all come around these core beliefs that go back to the earliest times of Christianity, which are there is one God, that Jesus is God, that he was raised from the dead, and that we are saved by grace. And that is the gospel that we are saved by his grace. So when we help them to understand there is this core Christianity, you can't just follow Jesus in any way and call yourself Christian. I mean, you can, but words lose meaning at some point. This is what it means to be a Christian. And here are those essential beliefs and Christian denominations differ on some of the non-essentials, but we all come around these. Danny, some excellent ideas from Natasha Crane about responding to our children's questions. And let me just ask if there are one or two maybe really difficult questions that you've got from a child or you've counseled a family and they've asked these really hard questions. I mean, how do you respond? I've gotten several along the way, John, uh, especially from people that doubt the existence of God. And I've gotten the question, who, is cr- who created God? And I was also asked, how do we know that Christianity is the only way? How do we know that? And then another one was, if God created everything, why is there sin then? 
And man, powerful I'm questions. I'm still wondering the answer to that one. <laughs> right. So that one was an interesting one. I was actually talking to my son about that one the other day. He said, how do I answer my friends hmm. on this question? He was asked that. There's not Christian friends. And I said, this is what I believe. This is what I think, my take on it. And it's that in order for love to exist, that needed to exist. It probably grieved God because love requires a choice in order for you to choose to be with someone else. Otherwise, it's a dictatorship. Mm. And so in order for love to actually exist, we needed to have sin because it's the opposite of a righteous God. And you, you get to choose either that way, that path, or choosing a loving relationship with your Heavenly Father. And then the whole relational story with God is a love story of Him pursuing us, but we get to choose to pursue Him back. Mm-hmm. And if we choose not to, there, there's a, a consequence to that that grieves our Heavenly Father tremendously. And when you look at relation, healthy relationships, it mirrors what we see in Scripture of a Heavenly Father with His children. And mm-hmm. we see in our heavenly relationships that uh, picture of a healthy relationship, we begin to see Scripture come alive. And the way we treat God is the way we're going to treat people around us. And we have a healthy, loving, secure relationship with people. It begins to mimic what God has talked about in Scripture. And so know that God didn't create sin to punish and to hurt. I really believe that there's a loving Heavenly Father that created the opportunity for love to be present Mm -hmm. and for us to love him back and have that long-term relationship. I appreciate that. I'm in total agreement with you. And I think uh, the story of the prodigal son, I call it the parable of the forgiving father, as recorded in Luke's gospel, chapter 15, is just that. The father loved the son. The son wandered and chose not to be in his presence, but eventually came back. That's our Lord waiting for us. That's our heavenly father saying, come on. I'm ready. I'm ready to pick it up and just bless you richly for being in my presence and wanting to be with me. And uh, boy, if if that's a foreign message to you, would you call us, please, and let us introduce you to this grace-filled, loving God? He's righteous and holy, and he does judge, but he also simultaneously loves you so much and wants to know you. So it'd be a privilege for us to tell you more when you call 800, the letter A in the word family. And if this is the kind of question that really throws you for a loop with your kids, get a copy of Natasha Crane's book, Keeping Your Kids on God's Side. It doesn't answer every difficult question, but it gives you a template, as you could tell from the conversation with her, to think through and be accepting and warm and foster those kinds of questions and conversations to be safe. We've got the book, Keeping Your Kids on God's Side, here at Focus on the Family. Uh, Make a donation to the ministry so we can continue to provide podcasts and articles and videos and programs and assessments and so much more. We want to be with you in this journey of parenting. So donate today. We'll send a copy of Natasha's book to you as our thank you for being a part of the support team. The links are in the show notes for all of these and other resources as well. Next time, Jonathan McKee shares a really powerful lesson he learned about parenting from a very dangerous bike ride. I'm John Fuller, and on behalf of Dr. Danny Huerta and the entire team, thanks for joining us for the Focus on the Family Parenting Podcast.